lives as we look to the Lord in prayer. And so, Father, this is not, as we say so many times, a, a playground. This world is a battleground. There is the seen, but there is the hidden. And what we need to be able to do is to connect the dots and be able to understand very clearly uh, that while the evil one feels threatened by advancements of the gospel, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. We've come here, Father, again now to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. World War II, Battle of the Bulge, and Adolf Hitler has dispatched his commando leader, Otto Skorzeny. And they are about to wreak havoc on the Allied communication system during World War II. It's part of what is known in history now as Operation Graef. Here's what happened. Skorzeny disguised a small collection of English-speaking Nazis, put them in captured American uniforms, provided them with forged U.S. documents, sent them on an undercover mission behind enemy lines, and in a matter of days, the Shamsh soldiers had successfully directed and redirected tanks and convoy traffic down the wrong roads, <coughs> destroyed ammunition dumps, switched road signs, destroyed telephone lines, all under the Allied noses, you see. It was a covert operation. Why? Hitler realized the advancement of the Allied forces. He felt threatened. And so, back to Skorzeny and Operation Graef, inciting confusion and panic within the American ranks, as word of phony troops spread, American soldiers set up checkpoints along major roads, and they began quizzing fellow GIs. They want to know if a person was truly American or not, and so they use some cultural tests, such as um, who won the World Series or other such questions of pop culture, hoping to out the imposters. The historian tells us the security stops only heightened the chaos. Many Allied troops were briefly arrested or detained. Operations briefly ground to a halt. And when a few of the Nazis were captured in the dragnet, they kept up the ruse by claiming a commando team was en route to Paris to murder General Dwight D. Eisenhower. This was an extraordinary example, you can read about it, of covert operations throughout the course of history in military warfare. Now, as I came about this, I was thinking about the ways in which the evil one is operative. 
he is feeling threatened by the apostles now who are proclaiming the gospel on the streets of Jerusalem. He has seen that the external threats aren't working. Still more and more and more people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So what does he do? He shifts from the external threats and creates internal threats. In other words, he moves from what I'll call an overt operation to a covert operation. Hidden, disguised, easy to overlook. Now, what you and I have to bear in mind, whether it be as parents or as a single individual, you're overseeing a business or maybe you are part of, you are involved in something of high significance. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, this is not a playground. This is a battleground. And I want this morning to become very clear that not only is there the tension between the external and the internal threats through the advancement of the gospel, there is also this heightened tension between what I'll call the overt and the covert threats to the gospel. And that is the challenging aspect of it all if you're going to be used by God to make a difference in this world. What I'm going to do this morning is to draw out two distinguishing features that we see in this early church that are operative when it seems as though opposition to God's work is intensifying. And the first comes out of chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to take it down to verse 37, and it's going to appear on the screen. Notice with me, first of all, the mutual care God's people are called to provide. Now, the evil one has begun to recognize this is a healthy group. Not only are they expanding numerically, but furthermore, they're intensifying their commitment to one another spiritually. Now, when a church is not only known for its external impact, but also for its internal care, this is a church to be reckoned with. And so with our three services and our live streaming this morning, I want us to all be aware now that not only is there the tension between the external and the internal threats, there's also the tension between the overt and the COVID and begun, begins to develop in what seems to be a very positive setting. All is well, so it seems. In verse 32, notice how it begins to unfold. Now the full number of those who believed were of what? One heart and soul. They are unified. There's a unity of heart. There's a unity of soul. Again, as we've said in recent weeks, this is not uniformity. This is unity. Uniformity is based upon the pressure that comes from without. Unity comes from the person who is found from within. Jesus Christ. Now, the governmental forces were trying to thwart the advancement of the gospel here. And they were stressing uniformity, pressure from without. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so now what you see here is that there is this internal aspect in which there is mighty health and development of the, of the way in which people are relating to one another. They are of one heart, a unified heart. There is a unified soul. And notice what comes next. You're still in verse 32 at this point. 
No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. In other words, they understood at the onset that God is the owner and we are the managers of resources. We don't flip it or we make ourselves the owners and God's the manager of the resources. And so they're looking out for one another at this point. They're concerned for one another at this point. Now, when you look carefully how we do both the internal and the external, notice this morning that, for, for instance, for the internal, we've got love in action, ministry of this church. We fund it, and we fund it in such a way that we continuously look for ways to meet the needs of others internally. And then you're going to see this morning that there's this adoption awareness occurring. There's anchor of hope being represented in the hallways this morning. We've got baby care. We've got a host of things by which we are attempting to be a cutting edge, light and sought, and the evil one will feel threatened by this dual emphasis. Not only are we looking out for the child fallen within the womb, but then we're trying to care for the child once delivered, be properly cared for and developed, and even hopefully placed in a home for adoption. And so now, when a church is strong both internally and externally, externally and internally, the evil one is going to feel threatened, and therefore he is going to produce threats against God's people. Well, they had everything in common. This is not communism. Communism is based upon uniformity. This is Christianity. This is true unity. Not pressure from without, the person from within. And so what I want you to see now, and you've made your way up to verse 33, is that the Greek word that would be used to describe what comes next is mega. In other words, and with mega power. See the word great power? The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. On mega grace, see great grace? Mega grace was upon them all. Now with the mega power, and they've just seen this exhibited by the raising of this crippled man, crippled from birth, used by Peter and John for this purpose, so that people would begin to think, if, if God can raise this crippled man to walk, God can raise Jesus from the dead to live. And now those that are in opposition to the advancement of the gospel are looking for further ways to thwart this. And now the evil one is feeling additional threat because not only are they a force to be reckoned with externally, they are a force to be reckoned with internally. And that ought to be the nature of this congregation as well. And so now notice the megas. You're part of the mega. If you're live streaming with us right now, you're part of the mega. So great power on one hand, great grace on the other hand, getting what we don't deserve, sandwiching in that verse, the statement here, testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they're pondering, again, this individual raised to war, crippled from birth. Therefore, Jesus Christ put to death by Pontius Pilate and Herod, governmental leaders, but there is a, a higher authority. There is an uppercase authority. Three days later, God the Father raises him from the dead, and now what you've got is health, congregational health, 
internally as well as externally, which I think you're going to be able to process as we, as we gather together tonight for our body life. Update, you see. They're looking out for one another because you're up to verse 34 now. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. I love this from Revolutionary War time period and subsequent. General Lafayette, those of you that have spent time studying this or have gone, spent time in the colonies and the likes, you're, you're familiar with this great name, worked alongside George Washington. Helped George Washington when the 13 colonies were fighting for freedom. Well, you know some of the story where after the war, Lafayette returned to France. And in 1824, he came back to visit America. An old soldier went up to him and said, Sir, do you remember me? No, said Lafayette. Do you remember the frosts and snows of Valley Forge? asked the soldier. I'll never forget, said Lafayette. Sir, on one bitterly cold night when you were going the rounds, you came upon a sentry, thinly clothed, slowly freezing to death. He took his gun and said, go to my hut. There you'll find clothes and a blanket and fire. After warming yourself, bring the blanket to me. And meanwhile, I will keep guard for you. When the soldier returned to you, you cut the blanket in two pieces. One piece you kept. The other piece you gave to that sentry. You guessed it. Tears rolling down the cheeks of the old soldier, he said, General, here's that half of the blanket. I'm the sentry whose life you saved. You see how this works when the body is being effectively used by God for God's glory. Got a peaceful blanket this morning. Ready to minister. And so now here's this early church and we've got mega power. We've got mega grace on our hands here looking out for one another. And then Exhibit A steps forward, doesn't he? His name is Joseph, but we know him as Barnabas, which means literally son of encouragement, son of encouragement. And we've got to be children of encouragement, internally as well as externally. What is, what's happening here? Don't miss this. He, on one hand, is a Levite, but furthermore, he's not from Jerusalem. He's an outsider. He is from Cyprus. Maybe you feel like a bit of an outsider. But even outsiders are meant to minister to insiders, and insiders are meant to minister to outsiders, you see. There's got to be this rhythm of care, mutual care. And so now, here is this man named Barnabas, nicknamed by the apostles. And he's a man of impact. And so if you look sometime at a map of the Mediterranean, love the Mediterranean. 
what you will find is that Cyprus, if you go a little further eastward, you're going to get to Syria, drop down, get to Israel. And so here is this man, Joseph, nicknamed Barnabas, and he has made his way into Jerusalem, and he is so caught up with the significance of what God is doing. And God chooses to use Barnabas. Not only here, the physician Luke views Barnabas as a classic example of God's grace because Barnabas will be the one who mentors Saul of Tarsus, who would become known later as the Apostle Paul. This is your intro. What an intro. Sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, laid it at the Apostle's feet. Those of you that love sports, and if you're a Christian, you love sports, you know. Uh, Jim Bishop writes this interesting story. I'm just teasing you a bit, you know. Not much, but a bit. You don't hear much about Robert D. Vincenzo. He writes, the tough Argentine golfer of a prior era. May not be the world's greatest, but he's a man. Not long ago, he surprised everyone by writing, by winning a tournament, gave him a check on the 18th green, flashed a smile, and walked alone to the clubhouse and back. His car was parked. There's the sad-eyed young lady who walked up to him. It's a good day for you, she said, but I have a baby with an incurable disease. It's of the blood, and the doctors say she'll die. And even Senzo paused, and in slow English, he said, May I help your little girl? The woman's face froze, took out a pen, endorsed his winning check, pressed it into her hand. Make some good days for your baby, he said. He accepted all the congratulatory handshakes soberly and said nothing. Well... A week later, he was having a lunch in a country club when a PGA official approached him. Some of the guys in the parking lot told me you met a young woman after you won the tournament, he said. Stephen Senso nodded. Well, said the official, I've got news for you. You got taken. She's a phony. She has no sick baby. She fleeced you. The golfer looked up and said, You mean that there's no baby who's dying without hope? He said. And the PGA official said, Right. And D. Vincenzo grinned and said, That's the best news I've heard all week. Good. Now, what these people want to do is to continuously bring good news internally and externally into the lives of people, which is what we're called to do in the various ministries that God has given us that we're pondering this morning and all these services and we'll reflect upon briefly tonight in our body life update. But as opposition to God's work intensifies, and I'm trying to draw out for you here the the way in which the external threat and the internal threat are connected. The way in which both the overt operations and the covert operations are connected. I want you to see connections here. 
connections. I was listening to For King and Country the other day, and I was watching a bit of a YouTube, and I was looking at those guys. I said, man, they look familiar. They look so familiar. I love their music, too. And then it dawned on me, Rebecca St. James. Yeah, she's their sister. And I saw the connection. Now, what you and I have to see now are the connections that are here. And so now, when the evil one is shifting from external threats to internal threats, likewise, what he's doing now is that he's moving from what I will call overt operations to covert operations. You saw the overt. You're about to see the covert. Here, then, is your second distinctive that as opposition to God's work intensifies, note furthermore the personal integrity God's people are called to maintain. The mutual care in 32 through 37, now the personal integrity. But a man, a man, a man named Ananias at this point. Name means God is gracious. And his wife, Sapphira, you've heard of a sapphire. Her name means beautiful. Well, they sold a piece of property. But here's a bit of a conspiracy, and we don't know why they did what they did. Is it for the appearance factor? The convenience factor? The acclaim factor? After all, they've been watching Barnabas, and he's respected why even the apostles know his name. They've even nicknamed Joseph Barnabas. He's an inside guy, and he's highly respected. Can they have similar respect in the body? Well, we're told is that with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what stands out to me is that the people were giving an on-giving basis. They didn't front-load at all. Because the Greek verbal construction here is that this was a continual thing. Installment after installment after installment to meet the needs of one and all. But Peter now steps forward. He knows Ananias. Maybe Ananias has got a, a position of respect among the God-fearers in the community. But Peter's about to say something that tells you and tells me he's in, he's on. He is able to discern COVID, not merely COVID, but COVID operations. Why? We'll get there in a moment. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? This isn't so much about Ananias and Sapphira. It's about the evil one attempting to thwart the advancement of the gospel. Well, he'll work simultaneously externally and internally, moving back and forth, back and forth he goes. But where does Peter get such astounding capacity to develop discernment regarding COVID operations? Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bajona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God reveals things to Simon Barjona, you know. But just a little bit later, you can barely blink your eyes. After Jesus told his disciples he would go to the cross, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, speaking of Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, my word. Peter had to learn discernment the hard way, and some of us might have been going through that as well. That we have been so external in our approach to things. We have to understand that the Lordship of Jesus Christ deals with both externals and internals. Because the evil one is, is involved with what I will call external threats as well as internal threats and vice versa. But I would also want to add and connect the dots. Overt operations. Uncovert operations. And what the evil one's trying to do now with the early church, if he can't get a foothold through external means, then he'll use internal means. If he can't do it overt, he'll do it covert which takes me back to a covert operation, once again, World War II. Where Colonel Bonnerfellers, you might have heard of him if you studied military history. I had a study in my Reserve Officer Training Corps program. Military Secretary to General McCarthy left a sobering account of the events leading up to Japan's surrender in 1945. Emperor Hirohito and Prime Minister Suzuki were trying hard to work out arrangements for Japan's surrender early in 1945. I want you to hear the rest of the story. The emperor could not communicate directly with the United States about surrender because, for some reason, the militarists controlled all the communications. So what did he do? He tried to contact the allies through the Soviet government, the Soviets who at this point were allies, some ally. Interestingly, the Soviets proved strangely cool to this matter. It would neither delay, it would either delay or give no response to Japan's surrender. All the time Japan was withering, suffering 185,000 casualties in a B-29 attack in Tokyo, and then of course came August 6th and August 9th, atomic bombs. And then get this. The strangely silent Soviets finally spoke up and declared war on Japan. Now the rest of the stories. Fellers revealed the facts showing indisputably that the Soviet Union repeatedly smothered Japanese overtures for peace. Peace with the Allies. Peace with America for six months before Japan surrendered. The Soviet Union was determined to obtain a dominant position in the Orient, both territorial and political, and therefore planned to enter the war at a time most favorable to Russia, Soviet Union's interest. I've given you an example of a COVID operation of the Nazis. Here, furthermore, is a well-timed covert operation of the Soviets 
who align themselves with other allies in the thrust in the in the in the war against Nazism. Notice then they were trying to get a footing, timing the moment. Now the evil one is trying to get a footing. Times this moment. Now it comes. If the external threats don't work, let's try the internal threats. If the overt operation doesn't work, we'll try the covert operation. Peter's onto it. He heard Jesus say, Get behind me, Satan. Not even get behind me, Peter. Man, that hurt. Back to the physician's writings, verse 4. Peter asked, what remained unsold did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, what was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived the deed in your heart? Have you not lied to man? You have lied not to man, but to God. When Ananias, God is gracious, heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last. And great fear, and there in the Greek construction, once again, is mega. So now you had mega power, then you had mega grace, now you've got mega fear, and it came upon all who heard it, and the young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Well, now, about three hours pass. Sapphira, she doesn't know. And so Peter then, as she approaches, says to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? You see the heavy emphasis upon the Holy Spirit in all this? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. You know, at the end of the World War II, Queen Mary was the largest ship to cross the oceans when she was launched in 36. Through four decades, World War, she served until she retired. Became a floating hotel off of Laguna Beach in California. You might know the rest of the story. During the conversion, her three massive smokestacks were taken off to be scraped down, repainted, but on the dock they crumbled. Why? because nothing was left of the three-quarter-inch steel plate from which all the stacks had been formed. All that remained were more than 30 coats of paint. They had been applied over the years. The steel had rusted away. A congregation is meant to be more than 30 coats of paint, people. There's got to be a dynamic Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the church of Jesus Christ has got to be extraordinarily discerning because as the Apostle Paul would put it, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, and that is military terminology that, that the Apostle Paul was utilizing there, which he would use again later in chapter 10 of Second Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against, according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what the evil one was trying to do, if I can't create a stronghold through external threats, I'll try internal threat. 
If I can't create a stronghold, you see through overt operation, I'll try covert operation. And watch how he tries to do the same in a family. Watch how he tries to do the same in a work. Watch how he tries to do the same in a person's heart. Watch how he tries to do the same in a church. But you see, there's something mega here. Because with the mega power coupled with the mega grace comes the mega fear. And we're told in the last verse, and great fear, mega fear, came upon the whole church, the ecclesia, and upon all who heard of these things, internally and externally, they're taken aback because this one who had the power to be able to be raised from the dead is reigning over the church, known as the church of Jesus Christ. Ah, the battle of Bulge. Scorzini disguised a small collection of English-speaking Germans, captured American uniforms, forged U.S. Army documents, sent them undercover behind enemy lines. Sham soldiers then had successfully directed tank and convoy traffic down wrong roads, destroyed ammunition dumps, switched road signs, destroyed telephone lines, all under the Allied noses. You see, a covert operation and where the COVID is operative, confusion results. Confusion and panic spread within the American ranks. American soldiers set up checkpoints along roads, began quizzing fellow American soldiers. Security stops heightened the chaos. Allied troops briefly arrested, detained. Operations briefly ground to a halt. And when a few of the Nazis were captured in the dragnet, they kept the ruse up until a commando team was en route to Paris to murder General Eisenhower. But there would be a D-Day. There would be a VE day. And out of all this, you see, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so I would say, if you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, be extraordinarily discerning like Peter, not only with externals, but with internals. Not only with the overt, but with the covert. Connect the dots and see how it all fits together. But remind yourself, on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. Let's stand together. So, Father, we're thanking you now. Because we see juxtaposed between the great power and the great grace of that wonderful verse that gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So a church that is at cutting edge has this dynamic, has this power, the mega power, the mega grace. It creates mega fear in the cosmic realm that is opposed to what Jesus is doing. May you use all that takes place in these services today in the live stream everything that takes place, including tonight's Body Life Update, to make a powerful announcement. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And for this, for this we give you all the praise now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.